the Kingdom Roots podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on our episode, we have a conversation about two parables, one the treasure hidden in the field and the other the parable of the pearl. So Scott, we're kind of back in the swing of things with these uh, parable episodes that we've been doing with our MANT cohort at Northern Seminary and this project on the parables that we're working to um, put these together to, to really show how Jesus used these parables as tools to uh, allow his followers and listeners to imagine a world like this. So um, you want to let us know who the our listeners have the pleasure of, of hearing today and joining us in our conversation and I guess maybe a little about that par- those parables that we're talking about today. Yeah, today we have with us uh, Debbie Moore, uh, who came to us directly from Honolulu, Hawaii, and she's now living in the Chicagoland area with her husband, Josh, and their baby, Jacob. And we also have Becky um, Becky Castle-Miller from Amsterdam. So we are scanning the globe here, if we could just cheat a bit and imagine... Debbie, back in Hawaii, we've got about half the world uh, brought together in this parable. And one of the one of the things that is deeply concerning to me has been um, professors' inability to communicate with lay people about insights that we have from the Bible and biblical studies, and their desire instead to write academic articles that 16 people read and analyze and critique. And so one of the things that I've done in my life and my career is to work on communicating some of these some of this biblical scholarship to lay people in ways that shows the value of what we are learning about the Bible. And so part of our master's program at Northern is to focus on writing and writing in a way that becomes accessible to lay people. And two uh, with us today, Becky and Debbie, are both good writers, and both of them uh, are concerned about communicating uh, to the church and with the church. Both of them are active and active in, in their churches. And today we want to look at two different parables. So part of our master's program is going to be working on a writing project on parables, and the general theme that I've set for the students is to... Uh, look at each parable as Jesus uh, exhorting his listeners to imagine a world like this. In other words, Jesus is trying to get people to imagine what the kingdom taking root in our world would actually look like. And his parables are fictive or fictional little stories that take us into that imagined kingdom world. And two parables today are very short. The shortest of all parables is the parable of the a treasure in a field, and the parable of the pearl of great value. And I'm going to read those now. From Matthew chapter 13, the kingdom of heaven, this is where Jesus is saying, imagine a world like this, is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And then the second parable is, uh, again, imagine a world like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, 
he went and sold all that he had and bought it, or he bought that parable or that pearl. He probably didn't buy the parable. So I'm going to, um, uh, one of the things that we ask our students to do is study the cultural context of the parables. I'm going to ask Debbie uh, what she learned about this little cultural custom of burying treasures in fields. What's going on here? Yes, well, the treasure in the field is, um, it sounds kind of a foreign concept to us, but um, culturally speaking in the time, especially with the Roman tensions, people would bury treasures in fields or um, in graveyards and in different places um, until until tensions would be passed. Um, some people would find them, and then legally speaking, if you found a treasure, you could buy the field or buy the plot or buy whatever, wherever you found it. Um, so it wasn't like a sleazy move for him to rebury it and buy the field. It was actually, legally speaking, he was he was in um, within realms there. And sometimes treasure would, wouldn't be found for a long time. So even with this treasure, it wouldn't be necessarily a, a um, recent bury. It could have been a very old treasure. So um, that was what, interesting to me. Did, Debbie, did they did they bury these things in cloth, or they just dig a hole? Uh, did they did they mark uh, things? Do you do you know anything about that? Um, not a ton. The there were um, some specifically this article that we read regarding the clay jars that there would be coins and clay jars. Mm-hmm. Um, there were different methods i'm guessing of of hiding burial and hiding but um specifically speaking we don't know in this parable what kind of treasure or how yeah yeah buried. you know uh, i was um long ago i learned about this about the dead sea scrolls one of the scrolls that was discovered had a list of locations where treasures had been buried and they're pretty sure it was in jerusalem and of course, it had the weirdest directions, you know, go three, three uh, paces from so-and-so's house. And of course, none of that stuff exists anymore. So they've got the, in a sense, they've got this map uh, of, of directions to buried treasures in Jerusalem. And of course, you don't know what the, the map makes absolutely no sense. So this is this is uh, this is a cultural custom. They didn't have banks. There weren't places other than, I suppose, with emperors and and procurators and government authorities who could have houses or places where things could be stored. The ordinary people had to bury things and they had to keep it quiet, but they had to tell somebody. So there was this risk and there were occasional discoveries like this. So this is just a common little custom that Jesus is talking about. I wonder if uh, Becky discovered anything about pearls that could illuminate the cultural context of, about pearls. I personally have no use for pearls even to this day. Uh, I've never thought they were all that attractive myself, but so, uh, so you so don't we, wear, you don't wear a pearl necklace when you go out for afternoon tea. I, I don't nor, nor do people, who, uh, uh, who wear pearl necklaces, uh, gain my attention by doing so. 
<laughs> well, I thought it was interesting that pearls at the time would have been regarded as the most valuable substance. So saying that something was a pearl was actually a figure of speech to say something it was of utmost value. Uh, I don't think that makes a lot of sense to us now because we have artificial pearls and it's easy to find pearls. So we tend to think of it more in terms of diamonds being representative of of a great treasure or something worth a lot. And we use diamonds in our engagement rings. So when my uh, when my now husband was my boyfriend, he wanted to propose to me. He emptied out his bank account and bought a diamond in a ring. And I hope and I think that he would say that what he gained me was worth more than than he put into buying that diamond of great price. Um, so I imagine that this merchant who found the pearl um, was finding something incredibly valuable and it was worth everything to him. He saw a good there return go. on his investment, huh? It was he, an he, ROI. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing, you know, this would be easy to translate into language. So for my grandson, um, the pearl would be some kind of Mario game or whatever they're called for his little device that he plays games on. And my granddaughter would like uh, American doll. Is that what it's called? American? American girl dolls. I think that's what it is. Um, And so, you know, uh, this is easy to translate, this kind of cultural custom. But both of these need to be unpacked in their world. And it, it, it wasn't, as Debbie said, it wasn't sleazy. For someone to um, uh, take the uh, find a, find something in a field and then and buy the field that was that was clever. Uh, just as uh, the other day we were at the at the parking lot, got out of a car, got out of our car, and I said, "Chris, there's a coin over here." And as I walked over there, there were four quarters, a nickel, and a penny that somebody had dropped on the ground. There was no one around, so there wasn't even someone I could say, did you drop coins? So I found it, and it's, uh, in a sense, it's finders keepers. So uh, these these cultural customs do help us understand the parables, and I think um, we've got a little bit of an edge now. So I'm wondering uh, if Debbie uh, could take some of this and put it into what the theme of these parables are about, and I think that this can be said simply and straightforwardly and boom, we're done. But I wonder if you have something to say about the theme. The joy of the value of discovering the kingdom would be the, the one section and the cost of discipleship would be um, the hand in hand theme. You can't really separate them. They are both an, and a theme for both of these parables. Um, And I think it's important to, to hone in with, what these parables are actually trying to say, because you could take so many rabbit trails um, in dividing them, but seeing them together really gives us a richness in seeing this twofold theme work out. And the uh, joy is obvious because both of the parables talk about uh, joy. Um, Well, or at least it's implicit. In the first one, it says out of joy. Uh, And the second one, he discovered it and he sold everything and bought it. And, and the discipleship theme is indicated in, and in both parables, they sold everything they had to get the field. So, so everything is transferred in this theme to the value of what is discovered. And of course, Jesus has started the parable by saying the kingdom is like this. 
uh, it is so valuable that you give up everything for it. And, and I think, Debbie, you're right on the theme that way. And that's exactly what's developed. Becky, have you have you looked at all about uh, the, the themes of joy and value in uh, in the parable? The book that we primarily used for our research was Klein Snodgrass Stories with Intent. And he says that these two similitudes are about the value and the joy of finding the kingdom. And he really emphasized that it's a jumping up and down, screaming kind of excitement, like winning the lottery is one way we might understand it. So finding the kingdom should fill us with great joy. Yeah, joy is an interesting word in the, in the New Testament. Um, but this one is clearly that a sense of exhilaration. Now, Becky, uh, uh, you don't quite understand this, but we do, because as Cub fans, <laughs> we, we know what this felt like last fall when we won the World Series. It was just, just out of this is the same kind of uh, expressiveness that is, you know, people are jumping up and down and hugging one another. And we're at a Cubs game. And every time the Cubs do something, everybody's standing up the whole time. Way, way too much for a baseball game. And everybody's giving strangers high fives. And uh, it's 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 quite an experience. And I think that that's the sort of joy. You're right about what's going on in here. Um uh, Debbie, you have anything to say about this joy theme, the joy and value here? I think another modern example, um, aside from Cubs, because you can't top that. But I do feel that. <laughs> Debbie, reality- you admit this, too. That is really good news. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I never- was lucky enough to be here. <laughs> oh, listen to that. Uh, and Becky didn't even probably didn't even come into her mind. <laughs> Well, I have family in the Chicagoland area, and so I was celebrating with them. It was a it was a big bandwagon, and a lot of us jumped on. We just got to be honest about that. (laughs) Well, absolutely, the radio station was coming around to people's homes in the suburbs and painting big W's on their driveways. Is that right? Yeah, anybody who wanted it, they can call in to the radio station. They'd come by and spray paint. I didn't even, I didn't, I never heard that one. That's good. Well, anyway, we got to move on. What, what is your other analogy that you say in our? Well, I think um, in a modern, in our modern culture, we see reality TV tap into this idea of um, including the watchers into the joy of finding there are so many reality TV shows on right now with treasure hunters and um, the fixer uppers with the houses and uh, filthy riches where they're finding worms and mushrooms of value. And um, I think it's really interesting. They're making so much money on this. The ratings are off the charts and people are watching because they, even on the, on the the sofa, they can be included in this joy when they find something that they know they can cash in um, and for. And, and, there's been times that I've looked over to my husband and said, you know, I'm going to go look for a rusty car. I'm sure I could do this. <laughs> I think you got you a reality what? TV I show have, there. <laughs> you know I what? Think I, that I, have no, I have no idea what you're talking about here because of the joy of watching the Cubs is so intense that I don't, I don't watch. <laughs> That's the reality that I watch. Oh, we got to move on. But uh, you know, anybody speaking or teaching, uh, will know the kinds of uh, translations that can be made in local church settings for the for analogies to this. But ultimately, this is a parable uh, about the cost of discipleship. And 
And I wonder uh, if Becky has uh, has some thoughts about the cost of discipleship and these parables. I have a lot of thoughts about the cost of discipleship. Um, this is your that's thing. My, that's, this is my thing. I am the discipleship oh, yeah. director at my church and I'm currently writing a discipleship curriculum. And so I've thought a lot about how do we communicate with people the cost of what it takes to follow Jesus. And I really liked what Klein Snodgrass had to say um, in his chapter on these parables. He said, no one pays the cost of discipleship without some sense of the value to be gained and without joy accompanying such an awareness. So I love that these parables paint what you gain as well as what it costs you. So it's the behavior of the finder. He says it's it being willing to sell everything. The kingdom is worth whatever we have to give up to participate in it. So in other words, it's not just uh, you choose this because it has inherent value, but you choose this because it brings ultimate meaning, happiness, and joy into your own life. Yes. And oh, what not, you yeah, give up, yeah, what right. you give up doesn't even compare to what you gain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Debbie, how is this? Um, has this impacted you guys? I mean, I know a little bit of your story here. Absolutely. Just to share maybe a tidbit of what happened to me 10 years ago. Um, I had a change of heart to refocus on a little treasure I found that made me completely change degree plans and uh, allegiance in my life of what I was focusing on and um, and uh, sold all my possessions. So I don't know if you guys have ever met someone who exhibits these Christ-like qualities that are so attractive. Um, aside from Scott McKnight, I hadn't met him yet. So <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, I'm in my, I'm surrounded by my treasures right now, all my books here, so. Ah, <laughs> yes, well, to other people, books could be treasures. Um, <laughs> so I met somebody who was in the mission field and um, who exhibited these values and characteristics, and I, I was just so amazed by the person that they were that I went and um, spied on the organization a little bit, <laughs> found out that there were more people like him, and went home, put all my stuff on Craigslist um, that I had kind really? of spent years building up, you know, getting the right truck with the right horse trailer and the right horses and chickens. And, you know, I, I thought I was building my kingdom <laughs> and, um, and I was about to take over the family business. And I was even in an internship with a veterinarian um, pursuing a vet, a vet med degree. So when um, I put everything on Craigslist and told my dad, I'm going to start building God's kingdom. I don't want to build mine anymore. Um, he completely supported me, got behind me. And within a month I was off and, you know, I never looked back. <laughs> My life is completely different now. And, and every day is a testament really of, um, like Becky said, there's no, even if I had more, there would just be nothing I could give to, to yeah, get yeah. what I've, what I've gotten already. And, and well, get. is this, is this when you went to Hawaii? Yes, originally I had um, joined YWAM and spent some years there and then did an undergrad in Christian ministry. And now I'm here in Chicago uh, working with you. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's uh, so you put everything you owned on Craigslist. Yes. <laughs> well, you you are the parable. That's that's really yeah. good. I, I love it. Yeah, that is really good. Uh, Becky, over to you. Any any thoughts here? When Debbie and I were working on our class project together, we both brought up the same quote from Snodgrass, where he talks about how we we tend to think of the kingdom as an add-on to the rest of our lives. We want to hedge our bets, but he says mm -hmm. you cannot 
hedge your bets with the kingdom. And that that stood out to both of us. Uh, so the idea that the parable tells us we can't go halfway. It's not an add-on. It has to be all or nothing. And that's what Jesus says, too. Um, my church is studying Luke right now. And in Luke 14, uh, Jesus tells the crowd that if they want to be his disciple, they have to, by comparison, hate everyone else, father and mother, wife and children, even your own life. He says, you have to carry your own cross and follow me. Um, and Jesus told people, don't begin until you count the, the cost. You can't become my disciple without giving up everything you own. So that's, you know, Jesus uses these parables as Matthew records. But here in Luke, he's saying it very plainly the same thing. Um, the kingdom is worth everything that you own, relationships, time, money, our political opinions, our cultural practices, our comfort. So if we want to gain the kingdom, we have to make Jesus our king. Um, and my story is similar to Debbie's. When I moved to the Netherlands five years ago, my husband and I sold our cars and our books and our furniture. And we used our, our car money to buy our plane tickets. And we came with like six suitcases, three kids and two cats. <laughs> and that's all we had. And did and it was because support, we, support from some churches. No, um, we we self funded our move because we believed in what God was doing at this international church that we were invited to join. And so, being part of that mission, joining God's work in the kingdom was worth giving up everything for. Well, that's good. Well, I have to chime in here. This is uh, this is unknown to most of my our listeners, and I'm uh, I would guess it's un unknown to any of the three of you who are right here with us. Yeah. Um, when I was in high school, I was um, destined, as it were, uh, to um, get a scholarship to a university for track and field. I was a high jumper, and I was also a decathlete. And I was going to go either to the University of Illinois or the University of Wisconsin as a decathlete. And they were already calling me and talking about scholarships. And the summer before my senior year, I was at a church camp and had a profound conversion type experience, a reorientation of my life. And uh, in my life, all the uh, attention that I had given to sports and to success in track and field ended uh, in, um, in one prayer on a, I think it was like a Wednesday morning or a Thursday morning underneath a big tree, an oak tree, when I gave my life to Christ and the Spirit of God filled me. And um, it was, I never looked back. I mean, I never, I never had any desire to, to do those things again. I mean, I, I, I played a little basketball in college, mm -hmm. and I actually high jumped a couple times for the track team, but we didn't have much of a track team. So, um, but I, then I had knee surgery, so that kind of ended any chance, but I had already made the, made the plan and I was going to go, uh, I wanted to go to a Christian college and prepare to be a Bible teacher or a pastor. I wasn't sure what it was going to be. So I know that story of, of, um, selling everything I had, although I didn't, I don't remember giving anything away. I don't think I had anything to give away when I was in high school. So, well, um, 
I think we're coming close to the end of our time. Is that right, Chaz? Yeah, you know, I've got to say this has just been so uh, enjoyable. I think hopefully it will be a powerful podcast episode for our, all you listeners. Uh, and i got to say, because all the three of you have been chiming in and sharing your stories, not just have studied and you know evaluated the, this parable and how Jesus used it, but are living it and have active real stories of, of what it looks like to sell you know, everything and buy the field and find the treasure and be joyful about it and embrace discipleship in it. And um, I think hearing everybody's story and all you guys talk, the quote that comes to mind for me is a quote from Jim Elliott, and I hope I don't butcher it, but um, I've read him before, and he says, he is no fool who gives up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. And uh, I just that keeps coming back to me and it's so cool to, to yeah. hear how that's played yeah. out in all of your lives. And so I guess to wrap up our time, uh, do you guys got any closing thoughts? Well, and, and yeah, I wanted to, to ask um, either Debbie or Becky to chime in to say something about if, if, if this parable is teaching us to imagine a world in which the kingdom fully takes place, in which the kingdom roots dig down deeply and we enter into that kingdom world, uh, what what does this kind of world look like according to Jesus and this and these two parables? Yeah, I could say something on that. I think that I mean I have such a hope for the church. Obviously, <laughs> a little light in my heart for it. But um, I feel like if the church truly took, I mean, the kingdom was you know is the church. if if the church really exhibited these things. The reality show wouldn't have anything because mm. we would be the reality show. Um, mm. This reconciliation, forgiveness—it does that doesn't make sense to the world. Um, wholeness, joy, equality, justice—all these things would be such an attraction that our our problems would change as church to be um, we you know finding more lumber to build churches because we would just not have enough space to keep the people um, from listening or to be part of this truth. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because the, the parable tells us that it is out of the joy of what they found that they gave up everything. And I think you're right that when the kingdom is lived properly, it brings such a joy to people's life that they'll give up anything. I have met dozens of people at Willow Creek who gave up their careers in order to participate more fully in what's going on at Willow Creek. And the number of our students who have made major shifts in their own careers and their own life and vocations in order to come to seminary or to go into the ministry is really a story that needs to be told because they found a joy in this sort of life that is not found, that, that they were not finding in their life at that point. So, yeah, I think, I think Debbie, you're right. I wonder if Becky wants to uh, tap in on that one or tap. The I, I loved what, what Debbie said, um, that the church should make the kingdom look like the treasure mm -hmm. that it, that it really is uh, to give another sort of tongue in cheek, but sincere real world example. You could say that the kingdom of God is like this, uh, a student finding a great treasure in a professor Scott McKnight at Northern Seminary and giving up everything to make that education possible, including attending class at midnight. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I know. That was unbelievable. You're going to class so late at night. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. 
but uh, you know, the education I'm, I'm getting through Northern Live, and I know Debbie feels the same. It's it's incredibly valuable. So for me, that's that's a that's a fun example of of a treasure that's been worth giving up something for. Uh, and the kingdom of God is is like that. It's it's the treasure of following the King, participating in the kingdom, that is worth giving up our whole lives for. Okay. Any closing thoughts, Scott? Yeah. The big question is, is taking a class with fish like finding a treasure in a field? Chaz, how are you editing? I do not have to answer that question. Stop recording, Chaz. Oh, that's good. I hope David, I hope someone tells David what I asked at the end, because he'll have a, he'll have a sure comeback. So, but you two are still in you you're still in his class so you so you have to behave at this point so yes okay well Chaz, <laughs> this has been a good time so i'll, I'll hand it over to you to all close right us off. well thank you debbie and becky for joining us it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast today thanks Chaz. thanks scott yeah. and thank you guys and thanks, our listeners, uh, for joining us again for one of our episodes. Uh, we hope you find it valuable, as always, and um, are encouraged in whatever man, God may be doing in your life and the, the discipleship of how you're living that out and, and the sacrifices that you make to experience and live out what God has for you. So um, we hope to uh, be with you next time, that you'll join us again as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Thank you.